At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. Good morning, church. Good to be with you guys and continue to worship the Lord as we listen to his word together. Well, we are in the book of James. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, um, the letter of James is right after the book of Hebrews. If you turn to the very end of the New Testament, you might hit Hebrews. James is right after that. If you see Revelation, you've gone too far. Uh, But we are in James chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. And then also verses 19 through 26. We're kind of jumping around a little bit, looking at this letter uh, a little bit topically, um, kind of moving around some. Um, But James is likely the brother of Jesus. Um, He's likely the brother of Jesus. We don't know for sure, um, but that's that's who we guess he is. He doesn't state explicitly a lot of details about his life. Um, But that likely is who James was. We do know that James was a influential leader in the Old Testament, and he's writing this letter to the churches. Um, Many of them had been scattered across the Middle East at this point because of the persecution that had happened in Jerusalem and because Jesus told the church, hey, you need to spread. You need to make disciples of all nations. So James is writing this letter to the scattered Christians around the world, and he's writing to them all sorts of instruction about the Christian life. Um, James is particularly practical Um, and relates to a lot of the nitty-gritty of the Christian life, and it's going to be no less true this morning as well. You remember last week we talked about that, interestingly, James' letter begins with a word on trials and how we are to walk through the trials and difficulties of life in a way that fulfills God's purposes for those trials in our lives. Well, right after that, in the verses following, verses 5 through 8, he's going to talk about our need for He's going to say, any of you who lacks wisdom, here's how you get wisdom. Um, and, and it's likely that there's a little bit of a connection there, right? As we walk through difficulties and trials in life, we need wisdom. We need to know how to walk through the particular specific uh, instances of difficulty that we walk through. We don't always know. They're perplexing. They're difficult. They're confusing. And so there's likely a connection there um, that he talks about trials, and then he talks about our need for wisdom And he's especially going to focus on how do we get that wisdom and what does it look like. All right, so James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, and then verses 19 through 26. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person who doubts must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. And then verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger, 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if someone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Instead, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the relatively recent advancements in technology that I can't even imagine life without now is the GPS on my smartphone. So for the first 12 years of my driving life, I can remember looking at maps, physical maps. I can remember having to write down directions on a little scrap piece of paper. Get on this street, go this far, turn on that street, and so on. I can remember printing out directions on MapQuest.com. Anybody remember MapQuest.com? A friend saw me using it recently and they actually made fun of me. Like, why are you using MapQuest? So antiquated. Just use your GPS. But that's the way life was. You had to prepare. You had to study. You had to figure out the right path the right direction for wherever you were going, your destination. And now, I don't even think about it. Like, I'll call someone that I'm going to visit while I'm already on the way to go to visit them and ask for the directions to ask for the address. Hey, text me your address. And then I'll click it, and then boom, and I'm on the right track. No sweat. I don't even think about it. And it's made many people wonder, man, I wish life was like that. I wish there was an app for that, not just for the direction of my car when traveling, but for the direction of my life and where I'm headed, for the different decisions I have to make, for the complex relational dynamics I need to navigate, for the perplexing situations that life throws at me. I wish I could just plug in all the different factors, click compute, and then a little Siri voice would put me on the right path, tell me exactly what to do and how to move forward. But the truth is, that's not the way life works. And that's not the way God has designed life to work. Finding the direction and answers we need to navigate life is not as simplistic and impersonal as punching in an address on Apple Maps. Instead, what we see in our passage today is that mature faith seeks God's wisdom. Mature faith seeks God's wisdom for the direction we need in life. So throughout the scriptures, we learn that God is what theologians call 
omniscient. The omniscience of God. And this means simply that God knows everything. He is all-wise, all-knowing. So the closest thing we have on earth to this is Google, right? If we don't know something, just Google it. And Professor Google will get you the answer. So this week I randomly searched coffee beans on Google and I got 290 million results in 0.91 seconds. And they always put that little analytic right there at the very top, kind of braggadocious. But the truth is that God is smarter than Google. He is completely omniscient, all-knowing, all-wise. So listen to the way the prophet Isaiah puts it in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 14. Isaiah rhetorically asks, Who on earth has measured the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand? But God alone. He asks, Who has marked off the heavens with a span, with a ruler? Who knows that kind of thing but God alone? Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure? And weighed the mountains in scales and the hills on a balance. I mean, somebody Google it. How much do mountains weigh? Could Google really know that? The prophet Isaiah says, Yahweh's knowledge is such that he knows what mountains weigh. He's thrown them on a little balance. And then he asks in verse 13, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows God his counsel? Whom did God consult? Who has made God to understand? Who has taught God the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed God the way of understanding? Answer, no one. No one has ever taught God anything because he already knows everything. God cannot learn. So take that, Google. And again, what we learn today is that when it comes to the direction of our lives and navigating confusing circumstances, mature faith seeks the wisdom of the all-knowing God, of the omniscient God. And look at what else he says about God in the first verse of our passage, verse 5. James says that God gives generously to all without reproach. So the context here is our need for wisdom, and James says that God gives generously. God gives his wisdom without reproach. So, you know, some people will, they'll give to you, but they kind of make you feel bad about it later, like they kind of hang it over your head later to use against you. But that is not God. James says our all-wise God gives wisdom generously and he gives it graciously, without reproach. So the question we're left with is how? How do we access this wisdom? What does it look like to receive from the wisdom-giving God? Well, the first thing we see here is that God's wisdom is received upon request. God's wisdom is received upon request. So look once more at verse 5. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
So there it is. Ask. If any of you are walking through confusing, complex circumstances, if any of you are in the middle of a situation when the answers aren't obvious, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Make your request known to God and it will be given to him. As James later says in chapter 4, verse 2, you have not because you ask not. You haven't received the wisdom you need because you haven't requested the wisdom you need. Now, why does God want us to ask for what we need like this? Why didn't he just create an app where it was super simple? Why has God made it such that we receive our wisdom through asking? Well, perhaps the most important reason is relationship. Asking God includes relating with God. So listen to the word of one of my favorite theologians, John Frame. He writes this in one of his books. He says, quote, Prayer is a means of fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus teaches that prayer is like a child going to his earthly father. Matthew 6, Luke 11. The child wants something, and the father is eager to give, but the father does not give until the child asks. Anyone who is a father or mother can understand the dynamic here. We want to give good things to our children, but even more, we want a good relationship with them. Our Heavenly Father wants the same. He does not want to be like a machine that dispenses goods, but He wants to really be our Father, a real person. So God isn't interested in being our genie in a bottle. He is interested in being our Father. And He experiences being our Father when we go to Him with our requests and we experience being His children when we go to him with our requests. Any of you guys who have children know that children are expert question askers. Amen? Children are expert request makers. They will make their requests known to you. Dad, what is this? Mom, can I have that? Dad, how do you do this? Mom, what do I do next? And in this way, children are great models for prayer because they have this natural sense of ignorance and dependency. They have a natural sense that I don't know all the answers and I don't have everything I need. So I am going to ask these two big people that love me and that I've learned to trust. So when we seek God's wisdom by asking Him for wisdom, we experience the humility of being a child and God experiences the joy of being a parent. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, unless you become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You think you got it all figured out? You think you're the, an- you're the expert? You think you're the answer man? You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to become like a child. God's wisdom is received upon 
request. So friends, think about the perplexing circumstances that you're walking through right now. Think about an area of life, a decision you're making, where you lack wisdom. Has it been your habit to ask God for the wisdom you need? Have you spent more time thinking and wrestling and worrying about this decision than you have about praying about it? Have you shared your need for wisdom with your life group? Have you shared your need for wisdom with other trusted believers so that they too can ask God to give you the wisdom that you need? Or are you just trying to figure it out on your own? Apart from God and apart from prayer with your community. Friends, God's wisdom is received upon request. You have not because you ask not. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously, and it will be given to him. So the second thing James tells us about accessing the wisdom we need is that it's requested in faith. God's wisdom is received upon request, and God's wisdom is requested in faith. So a little nuance to the first part. God's wisdom is requested in faith. Look at verses 6 through 8. James says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person who doubts must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So what James says here is that it's not just any kind of asking that the Lord is going to honor. It is asking that is done in faith with no doubting. Now, this is an important verse to understand because this verse has been abused, especially by so-called health and wealth prosperity preachers. So what happens is that these will go around and they will say, whatever you desire, ask God. Whatever you want, Pray to God. This is what these teachers will tell their followers. And then inevitably, many of their followers don't get what they pray for. So then the preacher comes around and says, well, you don't have enough faith. James chapter 1 verse 6 says, ask in faith without doubting. You'll get what you pray for. You didn't get what you prayed for, so you must not have faith. You must have doubt. It's a way of shaming their followers. It is a form of spiritual abuse that Jesus takes very seriously. But let's make a couple of observations about this verse. First, in the context of James chapter 1 verse 6, he's talking about asking for God's wisdom on how to navigate the difficulties of life. He is not talking about asking for a new car or a bigger house or a better job. He's not talking about any sort of earthly blessing, physical resource, or even physical health. So to use this verse to make someone feel bad for their prayers not being answered regarding their prayers for health or a house or a job is not only cruel, but it is also bad Bible reading. If you look just one verse prior in verse 5, you see that in the context, this verse regards praying for God's wisdom. 
not any material things. Second, we need to understand what James means here by doubt. So if you go to dictionary.com, I think it's really helpful. If you go to dictionary.com and you search doubt, the first two entries really help us see the different ways the word doubt can be used. So the first entry says that to doubt is to be uncertain. If you have any uncertainty, then you doubt. The second definition says that to doubt is to distrust. So you see there's a subtle difference, but I think it's important. To have uncertainty is one thing, but to distrust goes to a deeper level, and it's that deeper kind of distrusting doubt that James is getting at here. James is not saying, if you have any uncertainty, then God will not honor your prayers. James is saying, if you have a fundamental, deep-seated distrust in God, then your prayers will fall flat. And you can see this later in verse 8. As we read, James says that the doubting man is double-minded when it comes to God. In other words, the one who doubts God in the way that James is talking about doubting God is of two minds when it comes to God. He has not entrusted himself to God alone. He has not exclusively given himself to God alone. He is a double-minded man, and he still relies on himself. The double-minded, doubting man still looks to the world for wisdom and answers and is not squarely, singularly looking to God. That's what it means to doubt God here, according to James. A deep distrust, not any uncertainty. So let's put it in terms that many of us can identify with, especially if you are a sports fan or at least any aware of the situation with the Detroit Lions. Now, I dare say, I dare say that pretty much all of us doubt that the Lions will win. All of us feel at least some uncertainty that the Lions will have a successful season each year. I can't even imagine someone who doesn't doubt the Lions like that. But there are other people who distrust the lions. There are other people who are double-minded about the lions, and they have become fans of another team altogether. (laughs) So my good friend, you may have met him before, his name is Charlie Coburn. And Charlie has lived and grown up in southeast Michigan, the Detroit area, his whole life. And Charlie is a huge sports fan. He's a huge football fan. So you'd think, okay, he's a big Lions fan, right? He grew up around here. He's a football fan, so he's a Lions fan. Oh, no. Instead, Charlie is a big fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. Terrible. You see, it's that kind of doubt that James is talking about. Double-minded doubt. Double-minded doubt, not merely when you lack total certainty, as all of us do in the Lions, but when you lack trust to the degree you start shifting your allegiance away. 
All of us doubt the lions, but Charlie is double-minded. <laughs> he double-mindedly doubts the lions. He has gone elsewhere to Philadelphia to try to find a successful team. So what about you? When it comes to your trust and allegiance to God, are you double-minded when it comes to God? Yeah, maybe I'll rely on Him for the wisdom I need, or maybe I'll look to some earthly resource. Maybe I'll look to some godless strategy. James says, if that's you, If you are praying without being single-minded, singularly committed to God, then you are like a wave tossed at sea. And you are unstable in all your ways, not just your prayer life, because you're not anchored down by full-throttled, locked-in, single-minded trust and commitment to the Lord. So church, let's with laser focus singularly aim our faith in the Lord. And when we are exclusively committed to Him, then we are anchored down. We are held firm. And the Lord hears our prayers for what we lack. What does it look like to receive wisdom from the wisdom-giving God? His wisdom is received upon request. His wisdom is requested in faith. And finally, His wisdom results in action. His wisdom results in action. So look once more at verses 19 through 26. Now we're skipping ahead a few verses, but I think it could be appropriate to do so because these verses here really highlight the nature of wisdom according to James, especially the truth that wisdom results in action. God's wisdom is not simply meant for our contemplation and reflection and philosophical abstraction, as important as those things can be. Rather, for James, he is insistent that God's wisdom results in action. In fact, in the entire book of James, there are 108 verses. There's five chapters, 108 verses of Scripture in James. And in those 108 verses, there are 54 to 60 commands, depending on how you read the grammar. 54 to 60 commands. So at least every other verse, on average, James is delivering a command to God's people. A command that is intended to be followed through with our actions of obedience. So listen to verses 19 through 21. James says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, James says that what we're after is the righteousness of God being lived out in our lives. And if you are not quick to hear, if you are not slow to speak, and you are not slow to anger, then you will not act righteously. He continues in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness God's implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He says, put away rampant, filthy, wicked, unrighteous actions and instead receive God's word. However, notice immediately where he goes next, verse 22, not only receive God's word, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
So James says, certainly you need to receive the implanted word. That's why we have the habit of listening for 25 to 35 minutes every Sunday. Yes, we need to receive the implanted word, which is able to save you. But you must not simply hear and receive the word. You must be doers of the word. So James is impressing upon us the truth that, yes, God's word in the gospel saves us decisively, completely, forever. God's word saves us. But if it has truly saved us, then it has also transformed us, transformed the way we act, transformed the way we live. Friends, the gospel calls us not only to salvation, it calls us to a new way of living. And this is very contrary to how the way Christianity has been taught in our country. For a long time, many have been taught that if you just walk the aisle, pray a prayer, get baptized, go to church every now and then, just count yourself a Christian, well, then you're saved. Doesn't matter how you live. Doesn't matter what you do. As long as you jump through some of these religious hoops, then you're good to go. James says, if that's how you view salvation, if that's how you view Christianity, then you are, quote, deceiving yourselves. We must be doers of the word and not hearers only. God's wisdom results in action. He says, you are deceived in the same way that a person who looks into a mirror and sees that they are unshaven, unkempt, teeth unbrushed, hair messed up, skin is dirty. You look into the mirror and see yourself like that, but then you walk away and immediately forget. Because what's the point of looking into a mirror if you're not going to respond with the appropriate action of fixing what you see in the mirror? You're deceiving yourself otherwise. Like I'm sure you can recall a time when, a time when you've been on a date, perhaps, or maybe you've just been out with friends, and you go to the bathroom, and you then wash your hands, and you look up at yourself in the mirror, and by God's amazing grace, you thankfully notice that there is this huge, gross chunk of food secretly lodged between your teeth. Well, I say secretly lodged there. Everyone else knows it. It's only a secret to you. But now, because of this blessed mirror, praise God, you can save yourself from the embarrassment. You can take action. So you grab that chunk of broccoli or whatever, and you remove it. You act according to what you see in the mirror. James says that is exactly what we're called to in the gospel. He says in verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So in Christ and by God's spirit, God's law is not a burden to us. Rather, God's law liberates us. God's law liberates us from living contrary to God's design for our lives. And James says that we are not called to just hear God's law in the gospel and then forget about it. We're called to act on it. And he gets crystal clear on what this exactly looks like in the very next verses. Verses 26 and 27. What might it look like to do the word, to act 
according to God's wisdom. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, then this person's religion is worthless. So James says, you may think you're religious, but if your tongue is unhinged, if you are spouting off all sorts of nasty, mean, hurtful, bitter filth, then your religion is worthless. Instead, verse 21, he says, religion that is pure, religion that is undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James says, you want to be religious? You want to live out your religion? Then spend some time with people who are hurting. Spend some time with people who are often lonely. Orphans and widows. Take action. Sharing your resources. Sharing your time. Visiting and caring for orphans and widows. Friends, mature faith seeks God's wisdom. As Christians, we know that we cannot navigate life apart from the wisdom and direction of God. And we receive this wisdom through humble prayer, through persistent petition to our generous God, to our Heavenly Father, and He provides what we lack. But we must ask with singular, exclusive devotion and loyalty to Him. He alone is Lord, and there is no earthly substitute for Him. And the prayers of the double-minded will fall flat. We receive wisdom upon request. We request it in faith. And then we put it to work. We take action upon what God has revealed to us. I pray it would be so for us that our religion wouldn't be found worthless. God help us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father in heaven, our generous God, we come before you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Father, for your implanted word, which has the power to save, the power to bear fruit in our lives, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. Father, we come before you humbled humbled that our religion could be worthless because we've neglected the needy, because we've neglected the marginalized. Forgive us, Father. Father, we come before you and confess that we have not been slow to speak, slow to listen, I mean, slow to speak, slow to anger, We have not been quick to listen. Forgive us. Father, we also come before you and confess our need. We confess that we lack the wisdom we need to navigate life. There are all sorts of decisions, choices, difficulties. We don't know what to do 
It is not clear. And so I ask, Father, on behalf of all of us, that you would hear your children. Speak to us. Make it clear. Make our path straight so that we could live and fulfill your purposes for us to glorify you, to glorify Jesus. Help us, Father. God, we thank you so much that you are generous, that you give to those who ask. We bless you, Father, the all-knowing, generous God. Continue to hear our prayers and receive our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.